Well, morning church, how are you? It is good to see you. I am glad that you're here today. Um, listen, uh, as you're passing those baskets, this is our final week of Give United. We've already had a very successful uh, campaign. Uh, we told you last week, we are really mid-month, we hit our budgetary needs of $235,000. And I'm excited to say we've actually blown past it. Uh, our current total, $366,000 so far, just as much. That's $123,000 over budget. That's exciting. And we get to add to that whatever we bring in today. And so listen, I know that number is going to continue to go up. We are looking at probably the best Give United ever. Uh, we are going to be able to bless so many people. We're literally just about to shower a ton of organizations, charities, ministries all across our city. We ought to be able to fully fund all of their requests with what we have already brought in, which means we've got some great decisions to make about how to further bless a bunch of organizations this week. It is exciting. But look, we got one uh, more to introduce you today. Uh, we we want to talk a little bit about hearts and hands. So somebody invite Charlie and Carl to go ahead and come on up on stage with me. I uh, got some microphones right there. Some of you might remember Charlie Stewart. He uh, was our, part of our church for a long period of time. Uh, you may also know uh, uh, Frank Berger. He was a uh, part of our congregation, now worships down at Chelsea. He also helped out with Hearts and Hands, kind of brought this to us. Uh, and then we get introduced to you, Carl Payne. Carl's the president uh, of Hearts and Hands. Uh, and so look, this is a ministry that, that's functioning right here, uh, Jefferson, Shelby Counties. Uh, tell us a little bit, just what is Hearts and Hands and, and what do you guys do? Well, Microphone. Our yeah. mission really is to share God's Is that on? Is that, let me make sure. Oh, is it on? Okay, there you go. Make sure they're on. There Our you go. Our mission is to share God's grace, yeah. show God's love, and we do this through um, just serving through our community, and, and we're helping those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're serving in our community, and it, what we're doing is building wheelchair ramps. We're uh, doing what we call handyman services. And handyman services includes fixing things that are broken that normally would be simple for you and I, but people who are in their home in wheelchairs and, and you know, in, invalid or whatever, they can't do these things. So what's easy for us is very difficult for them. So that's what we spend a lot of time doing. Uh, we get calls from uh, home health care services. They're in these homes every day. They're, they're seeing things that we don't see. Uh, Meals on Wheels, they're out there and, and uh, they see clients that need food, they're, give, they're providing that, but they have other issues that are impeding their health. So they call us and we're able to vet those. So what, where we really, I think, contribute is that we hear directly where the needs are uh, through our experience, we're able to really go directly to where the need is. So That's awesome. So, so you guys do handyman kind of things, building doors or, or fixing doors, putting on new doors, putting up ramps, uh, whatever, just kind of small kind of stuff to help with mobility and those kind of things for folks who otherwise would not be able to do it for themselves or take care of it uh, for others. That, I, I know we were talking earlier, it sounds like the, the need for this has kind of exploded uh, recently as far as just like the need, just people in our area who need that. What's, what's the scale uh, of, of what you guys do? And either of you guys can answer that. It really has grown. It, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why don't you take it, Carl? We have uh, 351 projects waiting for help, people waiting for help. Uh, we've, so far this year, we've done 257 projects. We work on the weekends and uh, during the week, and 
we're just needing volunteers to, because when we're in someone's home, we can share God with them right there in front of them. That's the most important thing. That's really the reason we're there. We help them out with their physical needs, but we're also talking to them about Christ as we work on their house. And I know you, you carry a Bible to every single person. You, you vet all the people you talk to, and whether you take them or not, you, you carry a Bible to every single person you guys uh, encounter, correct? Yes, yes. A large print uh, NIV Bible <laughs> with, uh, with a plan of salvation on a bookmark inside. Amazing. Now, we talked about volunteers because this is kind of one of the things we wanted to do. Uh, some of you may have volunteered with Hearts and Hands. Some of you may, may want to. You may have handyman skills, and you say, I got skills. I don't know where to put them. Well, you guys have the place to put them. How, how would a volunteer get connected to you guys? Well, again, we, what we have is, you know, we have uh, days that we do ramp bills. Mm-hmm. And we'll have, we could get with a small group. And if your small group said, we want to help, we could plan a day to do a ramp and build, build it. We've got the resources. We've got the, uh, the designs. And we've got engineers in this audience right now that have helped us build and design these, these uh, wheelchair ramps. And so we could do a, a work day with a small group. Uh, there may be individuals, a lot of retired folks mm-hmm. uh, have a lot of skill, but really nowhere to use it. And, and we can use it. <laughs> uh, we have a group, our, our handyman group works all during the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll do things like fixing doors or repairing a rotten floor, which can be simple or very complicated, but we, we just redesign those and, and rebuild them. Uh, maybe it's something as simple as putting up a handrail in a shower. Mm-hmm. But those are all things that help these people gain their mobility back. That's right. Uh, so if they wanted to get in touch with you, you can go to heartsandhands.org. Uh, they can obviously come meet you today at the end of the service. Uh, but just contact you guys, and then you can, they can connect you with either a, a Sunday or a Saturday, a midweek, really kind of whatever is available for them. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, one of the other things that, that we also talked about was just the, I know it's called, it costs a lot of money uh, to do this because this is not just going out and, and sharing the gospel. You've got you to build these things. You've got to buy materials and things like that. You, you and I were talking about just how the Lord is, is provided, but that the need is great. Yes, he, he always provides uh, what we need. I think it's on. It's on. No. Yeah. We uh, depend on him all the time for our finances uh, because uh, we, the price of material has gone up a lot in the last, everybody knows that, and uh, we are, we're just depending on him all the time to, to provide the financing for the materials because no one at Hearts and Hands gets paid. We're all volunteers. Uh, we do it because God loves us, and we're trying to show his love to other people. Well, listen, we, we love that, and we, we've loved that we've been able to partner with you guys. And you guys know with, you know, Give United, everybody applies for a $5,000 scholarship. And you just saw, you already heard it, we aren't going to be able to fully fund uh, all of our things. The, the good news for you guys is that before we started Give United, we had already decided to not give you those funds, but instead to triple your ask. And we want to give you $15,000 today for all the work that you guys are doing uh, so that you can just take that and, and be a part of it. Thank you all so much. Are doing. Wow. So we love Thank y'all. You. Praise God. Praise, Praise God for that. And we want to pray for you too. Can we do that? Yes, so sir. let's take a moment to pray for our brothers. Father, we are grateful. Uh, there's so many needs that are in our, our area, our county that are just quiet. People don't see them, but the people are suffering nonetheless. And these brothers and so many others have stepped up just to say, how can we help uh, to provide physical needs And as they're doing so, to be able to share your gospel and to love on you. And so, Father, we're grateful to be able to partner with them. We ask a blessing upon them, Lord, with 300 and more projects waiting in the wings. 
Would you provide the manpower? Would you provide the funds? Would you provide the materials? But uh, just the people with hearts to come and join in and to meet these needs of people right here in our area. God, thank you for what they're doing. We pray a blessing upon them. We pray that you would continue to bless them. Thank you for the work of hearts and hands and show us how we can continue to partner with them. In your name we pray, amen, amen. 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 Can we honor these guys one more time? Thank you so much. Appreciate it, guys. <laughs> thank you, man. Go right over there. Uh, and the final thing on Give United. Uh, listen, we are very blessed. We're, we're going to start handing out checks this week to all of the different organizations. Uh, this check that we just gave out puts us right at the edge. As soon as we start giving out money on Tuesday, we'll have crossed the million-dollar mark in seven years of Give United uh, that we've been able to pour out all over our area. For this is one church. That is shocking and amazing. Do you see what happens, man, when we're generous? When the Lord blesses, we get to be more generous. It is so fun to be a part of that. And I'm glad we get to share that with you. Hey, grab your Bibles now. Let's go to Acts chapter four, if you will. Acts four, verse 34 is where we're gonna be as we finish out our series called Treasure. And I'm excited for all of us who've been walking through this whole series and uh, we're going to kind of round it out today. We clearly have not talked about all the aspects of money and our hearts. But uh, as you're turning to Acts 4, verse 34, let me go ahead and show you where we started back in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and this is where we kind of got the whole genesis for this, uh, for this series. Jesus says this. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What I hope that we've really kind of got an idea now of is that there is this link between our hearts and our money. And that can be positive or negative, but it's there nonetheless. You cannot ignore it. We can't just simply say, hey, let me talk about spiritual stuff, but leave that alone. You can't. Because our money is going to influence our hearts. If you leave it alone, if you don't examine it, your money will turn your heart. It will move your heart. And that can actually lead to your destruction. But it can also be positive. When the Lord is our true treasure, when I center on him, now my heart begins to move my money. My heart begins to help me kind of steward things in a different manner. And that's really what I hope we've gotten to here. But, but this is serious. The, the stakes are high when it comes to this topic. Look, look what else he says in Matthew chapter 6. We read this first, first week as well. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. All right, so this is, this is big. This is not something you can say, well, I'll get to that later. This is going to rule you. If you're not careful, I have to choose the Lord over my, my desire for money. And if we don't, last week we found out just how terrible things can get. Back in 1 Timothy, look what it says here. Uh, this is 1 Timothy 6 verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And so we need to keep that alive because the, the stakes truly are high. And as we, we finish this series off, I want to look at just how this can play out, where it can play out positively, but also if we refuse to really make the Lord our true treasure, if he is not really the, the one we love the most, this can lead to our ruin and destruction. And specifically, it brings destruction in our relationships. 
So we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 34. We're going to look at a creepy passage. It's October. We can do that, right? Um, uh, it, it's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit creepy. It is. It's an odd passage. Uh, but before I read it, here's the, the recap of where we're at. Uh, this is the beginning of Acts. So we're at the beginning of the church. Pentecost has happened. Christ has died and resurrected. Thousands of people came to faith. But the church is still very young. All right, they don't have like a full organization yet. They don't have a budget. They don't have a building. They don't, they don't have staff. They don't have any of that. It's just thousands of people kind of trying to figure out what is going on. But while they're doing that, the spirit's moving and miracles are happening. I mean, it's an exciting time to be a part of the church. But look what happens in Acts chapter four, verse 34. It says, there was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. No kidding. Young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it? that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Yeah, kinda. I mean, that's a little creepy, right? I mean, wow, here are some people and they commit a sin and the Lord just kind of takes them out right then and there. That might be a little shocking to us. So let's ask him questions. What in the world is going on in this passage? Well, let's start at the beginning. What is happening? What is happening is, is they are trying to figure out how to be a congregation. They find that there's needs among them. And so others are going, okay, well, well, I got extra lands or houses or stuff. What if I sold it and give it to you guys so you guys can then take care of the needs? Great idea. So people are start, starting to do that. And they're, remember, they're just kind of winging it. They're figuring this whole thing out. So this is known, right? They're not looking for glory, but, but people like Barnabas are doing this going, hey, what do you need? Well, I got an extra field. Let's do this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as they're doing this out of joy for what the Lord is doing, they're just excited to bring these things to the Lord. This is that extravagant giving we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, But please note that they're doing this voluntarily. Uh, Look at verse four and notice what it says. When, When Peter talks to Ananias, he says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? 
they're not forcing people to do this. They're not guilting people into doing this. They're just doing it. They say, we want to do this, and they're not being required to. Ananias is not required to sell his property, and even if he does, he's not required to bring some or all or any part of it to the church. That's not being forced on anybody. This is just a voluntary action that they are doing. And so all of that is going on, but Ananias and Sapphira have decided that they want to um, deceive the church. Now, I'm sure in their minds, they would not describe it that way. I'm sure that they had an excuse of why, why it was cool for them. And we don't know exactly how this played out. Um, it could have been that they said, hey, we'll sell the property and we're assuming it's gonna sell for this much and maybe then it sold for a whole lot more. And they said, well, hey, we'll give the part that we said we would and we'll just pocket the difference. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe they decided to, to lie all along. We, we don't really know, but the way that the Lord through the Holy Spirit describes it is that they did this on purpose. This is not an accident. They said, no, 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 we're, we're gonna give some, but, but we're not gonna give all of it, but we want it to look like we did. And that's really the intriguing thing about this. Because remember, God brings a very harsh judgment on them, but, but remember what they're doing. They're not trying to steal money from the church. They're giving money to the church, right? They're not trying to get money out. So what were they really looking for? They wanted to be seen as spiritual by other Christians, that's not a bad thing, right? I mean, look, there's not a whole lot of Christians at this point. These are people who are a part of what God is doing. They're, they're seeing what is happening and they want the other Christians to see them as spiritual. They see all these other people doing that. They say, well, we can do something kind of like it. I don't know if I'm ready to do that kind of stuff, but I really like being seen that way. And so I want other Christians to see us as very spiritual and as very generous. The problem is they aren't fully spiritual or that generous. So they want to look that way without actually being that way. They want to look godly without being fully godly. They want to look generous without actually being generous. And look, I think that's a temptation that many of us might wrestle with. That might be a little bit closer to home than we might think. Don't write these folks off in the villain category. These are folks like us sitting in the room with us. People who want to follow the Lord. But they've given in to this love of money where they said, well, I just want to look spiritual or look spiritual, but I don't want to give all my money to do it. I don't want to give this thing to do it. So I kind of keep that, but still look like I'm there. That's kind of what's happening. In response, God kills them. That's the shocking part, right? I mean, it's very shocking. God just out and out kills them. And, and look, that is jarring for many of us because you might go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where is the grace? These guys make one mistake and God just takes them out? Where's the, where's the second chance? Where's the redemption? I, I mean, I thought Jesus was all about grace for sinners. Why in the world would, would he do this extreme thing? And look, this is a very unique time in the life of the church. When you read Acts, you see some very special graces. God does things that he's not doing now, but he did some very special things at the beginning of Acts you don't see everywhere else. This is an act of special judgment where God's actually gonna bring a judgment he doesn't bring. Can you imagine if every time one of us made a mistake, God just killed us? Well, the church will be dead, right? Because that's all of us. There's not a person here who gets it right, me included. We, we, we don't, we make mistakes. There's a grace that God gives. This is an act of special judgment, which begs a very obvious question. Okay, so did God just send them to hell? Did God just look at these people and just say, I'm gonna send them straight to hell? And I think the answer to that is no. 
Because look, there's nothing in, in this entire passage that tells us that these folks weren't believers. They're in the church. They're trying to follow the church. They're trying to do spiritual things. There's nothing in this passage that would tell us that they are not saved. What I think you're seeing here is an act of judgment on the side of the Lord. Where he says, your actions are so dangerous, I'm taking you out right now. Your actions are so detrimental to the church, it's game over for you. I'm just calling you home right now. You're done. That's it. I'm yanking you. I'm pulling you out. If this is how you're going to act, you have no idea what your actions are going to produce. I'm yanking you right now. And so he calls him home. and said, that's it. You're done. And so that's exactly what I think is happening in the midst of this passage. But look at the root of it. How did they get here? Because of the love of money. What's tempted them to do this? What has put them in this position where they have now lost their lives and have become a byword for centuries? It was the love of money. These other folks are giving. It's possible. But they said, I, I want to look spiritual, but I just can't be that generous. I need to keep back part of that for myself. And what that has done is it has ruined all of their relationships. Let me show you three places where the love of money can really ruin our relationships as well because you see them here in this passage. The first off is, is it ruins our relationship with God. The love of money can ruin our relationship with God. Look down to verse five and notice what it says, or verse four rather, it wouldn't lose what it says. He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. You lied to God. That is what they have done. In making this deception, they're saying, I, I'm trying to lie to men, but they're saying, no, no, what you're really doing is, is you're lying to God himself. We have twisted ourselves into such a place to say, well, it's okay for me because, and, and I don't have to do that because, and nobody else will find out, and it's not really hurting anybody else, and God's not buying it. He's saying, you're trying to lie to me. We, we, we try to rationalize it, but it is a lie and it is ruining their relationship with the Lord. Look at verse three and look what he says here. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? All right, little sidebar there. He says, lie to the Holy Spirit. If you want to, you can put a little triangle out there next to that because there's another instance of the Trinity. Because in verse four, it talks about lying to God. In verse three, it's lying to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and God are equated there. There's another little evidence of the Trinity right there in the text. But look at how serious he is. He says, why has Satan filled your heart to do this? Satan has filled your heart to lie. So, okay, oh, the, oh, Adam, I see what's happening now. So the devil made him do it, Right? The devil made him do it. That's the, no, the devil didn't make him do this. And, and please, this is a very important point. If you're a believer, the devil can't make you do anything. He can't. The devil cannot possess you as, an, as a believer. It is impossible. He can influence you. He can tempt you. He, he, he can do all kinds of things. He can't make you do this. And we see this. Look at verse 4. Into the verse, it says, Why is it that you, Ananias, have contrived this deed in your heart? We cannot blame this on Satan. You cannot blame it on your upbringing. You can't blame it on anybody else. When it comes to sin, we can absolutely be tempted, but we cannot be forced to, to do anything. Ananias and Sapphira made a conscious choice to say, I am going to do this. And when they did, it is wrecking their relationship with the Lord. And so money is literally ruining them. 
This is what happens, by the way, when we don't allow the Lord to be kind of Lord of everything. If we look at God and just say, well, God, you can have my prayer life and you can have my, my life with my wife or my husband or with my, my kids or maybe I'll get to my, my work life or maybe I'm a hobby life, but, but, but the money's gonna stay with me. Uh, the, the money stays under my control. I can't bring that uh, underneath your authority. I can give you all these other things, but this one has to stay over here. Okay, that's, that's a huge part of your heart. We can't say we're giving God lordship over our lives if I refuse to bring this aspect under his lordship as well. Which for some of us, you might say, Adam, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm doing my quiet time. I'm, I'm trying my best. And, and still things are, are not going well. And I don't feel close to the Lord. And I don't know what's happening. You need to ask yourself the question, have you considered your finances? Is there anything in your finances that's amiss here? And please, for the last time, I need to say it again this season. This is not about the dollar amount that you're giving. God doesn't need your money. Never has. He absolutely wants your heart. Absolutely. And money and our heart, they're bound up together. And so the question is, have I surrendered to the Lord to say, say, God, I give you everything. All of this is yours. I love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, not just part of it. Because if I don't, what this begins to do is it ruins your relationship with the Lord. Here is a brother and a sister who are going to church, who are trying to, to, to follow after the Lord, but because they refuse to surrender this aspect of their life, Satan worms his way in and it is ruining their relationship with the Lord. Here's the second way though. The second thing that can happen to us, it can ruin your relationship with others. It ruins your relationship with others. There is a supreme irony in this story in that Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be seen as really spiritual, but the end result is that they are now a byword for hypocrisy. Isn't that ironic? They were looking for spiritual respect and now they've gone down in history for the opposite. And look, that is part and parcel of sin, any sin. Not just sin with money, but any sin. Sin always promises us one thing and then gives us the opposite. Sin is gonna promise us life and it's gonna give us death. Sin, sin promises you joy and it's gonna give you pain. It's gonna offer you freedom and then what you end up is getting, uh, becoming a slave. That's every sin. These guys were looking to cut corners to spiritual respect and instead they become a byword of hypocrisy forever. But here's the thing that I think we need to understand and this is why the Lord has taken such extreme steps to take Ananias and Sapphira out of this situation is because their actions were gonna affect the church in negative ways that they could not fathom. Here's something we all need to recognize. Our actions influence other people way more than we think they do. I don't, it does not matter if we don't like that. Or say, nope, I'm an island. I just wanna do my own thing. Just leave me alone. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. We'll all be fine together. That is impossible because our actions affect other people all the time whether we like it or not, and especially here in the church, because we're all in Christ together. We're all united together. And so the actions of individuals actually do affect the rest of us. You say, Adam, how do we know that? Well, we know that because of a very specific word that's used here. Look at verse two and three. Let me point this out to you. In verse two, it says this, with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself part of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? This word keep back is an incredibly rare word. In fact, it only shows up in one other place in the entire New Testament. It's the Greek word nosphizomai. And the only other place it shows up is in Titus. And in that, in that passage, the word means to steal or to embezzle. All right? So when he says keep back, this is not like a financial maneuver that Peter just didn't understand. It's, it's not some thing that he was going, well, I'm going to hold it and then give it and do these other. He's like, no, no, no. There is an intent here to steal or embezzle. And we know that because this also shows up only in one place in the Old Testament. You say, well, Adam, how is that possible? The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and this is a Greek word. Well, as the Greek world really began to take over, the Jews at some point uh, get their scholars together to create a a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint or the Septuagint, right? And and so the Greek speakers, they, they have this Old Testament in Greek, just like we have it now in English, well, this Greek word only shows up in one story in the entire Old Testament. It's the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Anybody remember the story of Achan? Uh, if you know your Old Testament history, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. God brings them out. They wander in the desert for 40 years. And then he says, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. Just follow me and I'll come into the promised land. So the first uh, city that they have to go up against is Jericho. And God says, I'm gonna give you everything. So instead of just like fighting, I want you to march around the city seven times. And they do. The walls come tumbling down, right? And and they go in, but but God said this to them beforehand. He said, listen, when I give you Jericho, don't take anything. This is all tribute to the Lord. So don't take it, don't, don't loot the place, right? You're not taking anything. Just, you're gonna burn it all. This is an offering to the Lord, right? But don't take anything. I will provide for you. I'll give you what you need, but don't take anything, all right? Just destroy the town. So they go in and they do that and everybody obeys the rule. Everybody obeys the rule except for Achan. Achan sees a cloak that he really thinks is awesome, some silver bars and some gold bars and he grabs them. And he takes him to his tent and he hides him. A couple days later, they got to go up against a much smaller city, a little city called Ai or I, right? And they said, well, don't, don't send the whole army. We don't need to. It's 10 times smaller. Just send a few thousand people. We'll be fine. They send this portion out there and this tiny little town repulses the Israelites. They are shocked. They are dismayed. They are confused and scared. They said, wait a minute, has God pulled his hand off of us? Has God now removed his favor from us? And God says, yes, I have, because you haven't been faithful to me. They said, wait, what what happened? He said, somebody in your camp has not followed my commands. And so they literally, they talked to everybody. It finally comes out, here's Achan who confesses and says, yes, here's my stuff. They find the stuff. And he says, I took it. And because of this one man's actions, it had impact on the entire nation. And Luke uses the exact same word that only shows up in the story of Achan right here to make a point. Just like the Israelites were entering into the promised land and that one act of hypocrisy, that one act of greed threatened the whole enterprise. Here, thousands of years later, you've got the brand new church and everything is going great and everybody is of one heart and one mind. And now you've got a brother and a sister who said, yeah, but maybe we could fudge a bit. 
And for the very first time, they are importing hypocrisy into the church. They are importing this kind of sin into the church. And the Lord, just like he did back then, said, no, you've got to remove that from your midst. God does it himself, and he takes them out. Why? Because our actions actually do impact everybody else. Our actions have impact all over this place. But you might say, yeah, but I, don't, I would never do that, right? I would, I, would never, I would never do something like what they did. Look, this can be more subtle than you think. This can happen in terribly subtle ways. One of those is this. You might say, I just really don't want to be around people who don't fit my economic bracket. Look, look, if they can't buy the way I buy or live in the same, same kind of neighborhood as I live in, I just don't know if I want to be around them. Let them kind of hang out with their, their own kind, but I want to kind of be around folks who are just like me. I feel uncomfortable when I'm around people who just can't buy what I can buy or do what I can do. And you don't say it out loud. It's just kind of how we live. This is what happened in Corinth, by the way. Paul will take the Corinthians to task because they did this very thing. Uh, when the Corinthians would get together for communion, uh, they didn't have like the little sippy cup and the chiclet like that we have, right? Um, they, have, they had like a full feast, right? They had like a full meal, but the, it was like a bring your own food kind of thing, right? And so everybody would bring their food. The problem was the rich people would bring all their food and they would sit with all their rich friends and they would have like, you know, a little chandelier and like the tablecloth and all their stuff. And, and, then all, and then all the poor folk, they got their PB&J and they got to like sit at the kitty table at Thanksgiving, Right? And they're, they're over here. And, and Paul writes back to him and says, do you not recognize you're humiliating them? You humiliate them by what you're doing. And these, these are all brothers and sisters in Christ. But suddenly we just say, well, I just want to be over here. You guys be over there. It's our love of money that's, that's actually starting to ruin our relationships. Maybe you say, Adam, I, I don't even have time to build relationships. I'm chasing after money so much. I'm working so hard and doing all these different things. I don't have time to build relationships. I don't have time to get to know anybody. I don't have time to invest because I'm too busy chasing more and more and more and more money. I can't be content. I got to have more and I don't even have time. And so your relationships with the church, they, they fray because there's no time for any of that. Do you see how subtly the love of money can begin to really ruin our relationships? Here's the third thing. It can ruin your relationship with your spouse. Here we see a marriage completely and totally destroyed by money. And look, this can happen quicker than anything. Uh, money is at the core of any marriage. It is. You can't deny it. It's a huge factor in any marriage. It's going to determine what house you live in. It's going to determine your lifestyle. It's going to determine the kind of things you buy, the kind of things you do, the kind of vacations you go on. And these are all decisions that kind of play out in the life of a marriage. And if you're not talking together about that, if you're not on the same page with your spouse, this can lead to untold strife that can literally ruin your marriage. When people study the, like the major reasons for divorce, you would assume it's just adultery, but it's not. There's multiple reasons, but one of the main reasons, and in some of these studies, it is the biggest reason, it's financial issues. It's money. It's the way people deal with money, how we interact with money. And if you and I are not careful, we're not open and honest about these things and working together, we're not surrendering fully to the Lord first and foremost with our money, this is gonna become a rift between a husband and a wife. You can see this in all kinds of ways. You can see it in the, in the differences between a saver and a spender. Have you got that in your marriage? Typically in a marriage, you get a saver and a spender. Sometimes you get both of one kind. And it can be the, the man or the woman on either side, right? But usually there's a saver and a spender. Sometimes the spender is in the driver's seat. The spender just wants to buy everything. 
And you just buy stuff. You're not saving, you're not doing anything. You're just buying, 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 doing all this stuff. And what happens is that the, the saver gets resentful. We're not saving for anything. Man, we don't have anything for a rainy day. We're not saving for retirement. We're just, I'm just, I'm upset about this. Maybe, maybe the saver is actually the breadwinner and you gotta, you gotta work harder and buy more so you, you, the spender can, can spend more. And you're like, why am I working so hard just to, just to have some more stuff so we can do these things? And there's that resentment begins to build up over time. It can break your relationship. Sometimes it's the saver who's in the driver's seat. You just never buy anything. You got to save, 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 never buy, right? You're, you're buying the generic of the generic, right? I mean, you got to have, you got to have, you can't have anything, right? No name brand, nothing. I mean, even when it wouldn't bother you, it wouldn't hurt you to go out to eat. It wouldn't hurt to, your, your, your budget or anything. But no, 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 we got to save, 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 save. And, and, and you're so there, you get resentful. It's, it wouldn't be bad to go and spend something. But, but now, because we, we have to be so saving, we're, we're, this is becoming stingy. And do you see what's happening the spenders trying to find their identity and what they can buy and what they can experience and they're not basing it on their life in Christ. The saver is trying to find their identity and their own security and taking care of themselves and the power to take care of themselves, not trusting the Lord to do it. And this becomes a rift in your marriage. You can also see this in cases of financial infidelity. Ever heard that term? Heard this a few years ago. Uh, sexual infidelity is obviously when, when somebody cheats on their spouse, right? And so there's, when that's happening, there's a lot of deceit, right? You're hiding, you're trying to hide the tryst, you're hiding the records, you're trying to hide all these different things. You got all that going on. And that obviously is unbelievably destructive. It can absolutely destroy a marriage. And, and many times, more often than not, it does. But financial infidelity can be almost as damaging, Financial infidelity happens when somebody says, uh, hey, I know what the real state of our finances is. I'm just not going to tell my spouse. Maybe there's debt in your relationships. I just don't want them to know how much debt we have. They'll get worried. They'll get freaked out. So I just want to talk to them about it. So you don't. You just hide it. You're worried about it. You're trying to fix it. You're trying to do all these things. You're, you're pretending it's all fine. And then one day it finally has to come out where you have to say, hey, we're bankrupt. And this lifestyle you have, it's gone. Hey, hey the things you thought we had, we don't have. This thing that you thought was secure, it's not secure anymore. It never was. It doesn't exist. I've seen that happen to people in our congregation before. Where it just all blows up. Sometimes it's when people are opening up uh, secret credit cards or secret bank accounts or you're siloing money away in different accounts that your spouse has no idea about because you're kind of keeping this over on the side and you're kind of excluding your spouse in that. Okay, that's, that's financial infidelity. And when those things finally come to light, it's a breach of trust. Begs the question, why? Why would we do that? It's the love of money ruining relationships. Instead of just coming clean and being honest and say, hey, let's work on this together. Hey, let's, let's turn to the Lord together. No, the love of money can actually ruin our relationships. But what if it wasn't like that? What if instead of ruining relationships, what if your relationship with money could actually strengthen your relationships? Let's not end the series on a negative note. Let's actually end it on a positive note. Let's go back and look at Barnabas. Because Barnabas doesn't seem to have this problem. Barnabas comes in and says, hey, I got an extra field. And if you guys need it, I'll sell it. And I'll just bring the proceeds to your feet. And he just gives it to the apostles. And it begs the question, why? And I think the answer we can clearly say is because Barnabas has surrendered his life to the Lord. 
He has been completely and totally transformed, saved by the love of Christ. He knows that he is a sinner who is bound for hell, but now he has an eternal security in the Lord. He's not looking for earthly treasures anymore. He wants heavenly treasures. And so now he's actually glad to sell these things and to give it to the Lord. You say, Adam, how can you tell that? How can you know that from this text? Well, because of all the things that Barnabas does after this. You can clearly see his heart from how he is described and what he does. Throughout the rest of Acts, we see multiple things that Barnabas is included in. When Paul gets saved, nobody will touch him. They are terrified of him. They have no idea what to do. It's Barnabas who goes and gets him and says, hey man, let's hang out and brings him back into the fold. When uh, Christians at Antioch become Christians, the folks in Jerusalem are a little bit concerned, like, uh, I don't know, I don't know about that. Well, they send Barnabas. It's Barnabas who goes out and says, hey man, let me, let me see what's going on. He encourages them in this. When John Mark makes a, 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 probably a bad choice of saying, I'm gonna bail on a missionary journey in the middle of the, the journey. Paul is very mad, won't do it I- anymore. He decides to give John Mark a second chance. He says, no, I'm gonna give grace. I, I wanna give that to John Mark. He, he's looking to, to build bridges and relationships, not to destroy them. And then there's his nickname, Uh, his real name is Joseph, but they call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Here's the thing. Barnabas in Hebrew doesn't mean son of encouragement. It doesn't. It's like, well, then why does he call him son of encouragement? You're looking at a straight up nickname, right? It's just a a flat out nickname in the same way that Simon becomes Peter the rock and James and John become the sons of thunder. Joseph gets to be Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The apostles gave him a nickname and says, that's the heart of this guy. He just loves to encourage. He loves to bring people together. He loves to build up and to bind up. This is his heart. This is his character. So when it comes to his money, that's not a special case. He says, of course, what can I do? The Lord prompts him. He says, yes, I wanna give that to the Lord. And so he's exemplifying all the things that we've been talking about in this series. He wants to be generous He's received grace, and so he just wants to give grace. He's excited to do so. He's not looking for earthly treasures. He's looking for heavenly treasures. He wants to be a good steward of the things that God has given him. He is content with what he has. In fact, he can be content with less. Why? Because his contentment comes from the Lord and not from the things of this world, which is why he's giving extravagantly. All the things that we have talked about, his heart is with the Lord, and that is now driving his money and not the other way around. And as we wrap up this series, my question is, is are you seeing your heart being changed in a similar way? We're all gonna have to continue to deal with money. We all will. But, but have you seen, you come to, your, to a place where you say, man, my, my heart is more aligned with the Lord. Again, it's not about a dollar amount. It's not about a figure. It's about my heart and my attitude. Do I recognize, man, I have been given more than I could ever ask for. I am so blessed. I have been given so much grace and I know God will provide for me. He is faithful like we sang before. How could I not give? Do you see your heart turning in that vein? I hope many of you have really walked with us through this experiment. We've challenged everybody here to say, hey, for one month, I want you to be faithful to give a full tithe. I have no idea who's doing this. I'm not naive enough to believe that all of you have done it, but I have imagined that a lot of you have. And here's the question. Did anybody go bankrupt? Anybody? I haven't heard of it yet. Unless you, nobody's told me that anybody went bankrupt. Did anybody go hungry? No? I saw Jim and Nick's. It was full, right? 
I have a feeling we all had enough food on our tables. I bet we were all well provided for. And on top of that, we've had our most faithful Give United ever. We're going to give away $130,000 plus whatever we did this month, plus the $80,000 we decided to do on top of that. Do you see the blessing that we're able to pour out? All of us are fine. And the amount of blessing we just get to shower on people all over the city. Do you see what happens when we make the Lord our treasure first and foremost? I say, God, you give me all things. So yes, my money, my everything, all of it is yours. When we give our hearts to the Lord, it not only blesses us, it blesses everyone around us when he is our true treasure. So do this morning. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, as you get ready to sing a prayer to the Lord and ask him to come and change us as a people, how's your heart? How's your heart? When, when it comes to this very sensitive topic, when, when it comes to this very sometimes uncomfortable topic, how's your heart? Have you come to a place where you say, man, I, I've been holding things back. I haven't been willing to let God. Why is that? And maybe, maybe even today, we just need to repent. To do what Ananias and Sapphira wouldn't and just come clean. And to say, I, I didn't do this right. And grab repentance and more grace so that the Lord can change us, that we might be like him, be even more generous, that we might experience the joy of being just like him. We're watching it happen in our midst as we speak. Why would you hold back? Let's surrender everything to him. And so Heavenly Father, speak to us. Change us. Lord, if there's any part of our hearts that we're holding back, would you reveal it to us? If there's anything we're just not seeing, it looks like Ananias and Sapphira, they just did not see how, how deep in the bag they were, how down that road they were. Well, Father, would you reveal it to us early? So we might follow you. Lord, there you. There's just so much grace in you. And as you pour it into us, there's no limit to what we can pour out on others. So help us, speak to us, protect us, unify us that we might be just like you. We love you. In your name we pray.